0: Hello and welcome to the Slow Home Podcast. This is a podcast all about living a slower life in a fast-paced world. My name is Brooke McCallery and uh, thank you for joining us.
1: Welcome to episode 189 where you speak to the founder of PIP.
0: Yes, so I chat with Robin Rosenfelt who is the founder and editor of PIP Magazine, which is a permaculture magazine. This was... A fantastic conversation for heaps of different reasons, but one of the things I loved was kind of unpicking all the reasons that permaculture and slow living are very, very similar. They're kind of two sides of the same coin almost. When I first learned about permaculture, I thought that it was a gardening term only. And Robin and I talk about the fact that yes, that that may be its roots, but how it extends into all aspects of community and the way that we live on the earth. And I, I just, I really loved it. I love this entire conversation and how we really kind of went deep into what permaculture means and how we can start to embody it without having to move to a farm and grow all our own
1: food. Yeah, exactly. So you if know? you want an education on permaculture that extends beyond food stuff, yeah, check this episode out. Absolutely. You really, really enjoy it.
0: I'd also really encourage you to go and check out Pip's website, which is just pipmagazine.com.au. There's fantastic resources in the blog. They have a podcast, which is really worth a listen. Uh, and you can also subscribe to the magazine there. So Pip is an Australian magazine. It's run out of uh, Pambula, which is down on the far south coast of New South Wales. But you can get the magazine digitally obviously, around the world, and they also ship the physical magazine globally as well. So I would absolutely encourage you to go and
1: check it out. Excellent. In other news, we're currently in Anaheim, California, USA. That is true. We're at the Pog Past Movement. We've rebranded it. They call <laughs> it the Podcast Movement, but it's the Pog Past we Movement. We all know that it's the Pog Past Movement. Brooks actually uh, presenting at the Podcast Movement. I'm on a panel. You're presenting? Yes. So we're in uh, the beautiful sunny Anaheim Convention City, I think, <laughs> or one of the many convention cities in America. So we're enjoying that. In other news, Slow, the Slow Book mm-hmm. has been sent. Yes. It's so been sent. It has. It's been sent out to those that pre-ordered it, as in like today it was sent out. Yeah If you
0: pre-ordered, it should be winging its way to you over the next couple of days, which is really exciting. Which is a
1: couple of days before the general release of it.
0: Well, yeah, the technical release date is the 1st of September. It will be appearing over the next few days yeah. as
1: booksellers. But excitingly, like yes. people are going to receive it. And when you do receive it, please, please, please shoot us a, an image of you enjoying it somewhere. Yeah, that
0: would be fun. Yeah, Yeah, share it on Instagram or Facebook or wherever.
1: We'll do collages maybe. Okay. Sure. <laughs> if, if Ben, you're putting your hand up for that.
0: And is now a collage maker in chief.
1: But, yeah, send us send us some feedback uh, once you start reading it. Yeah, we're, well, I know you're equal parts nervous and elated for it to be finally birthed.
0: Yeah, birthing is a good word, actually. It's <laughs> been a long labour. No, it's, it's very exciting. And I, I'm very much looking forward to hearing what people have to say about it
1: absolutely Mm.
0: in the meantime enjoy my chat with robin and um be sure to let us know and get in touch with with them over at pip as well and let them know how much you dig what they're doing Robin, how are you? Hi, Brooke. I'm good, thank you. That's good. I'm so glad to be talking with you. Um, Thank you very much for making the time. My pleasure. So, Robin, you are the editor and the creator of PIP Magazine, which is a magazine dedicated to permaculture in Australia, even though you have a global readership. And permaculture is one of these terms that I, I see becoming more and more Mainstream, I guess more and more people are talking about it. And the thing that strikes me about it is there are so many, I guess, parallels between permaculture and slow living sort of, you know, two sides of the same coin and looking through your beautiful magazine and your website and your blog. I see there are so many commonalities between slow living and permaculture. Mm, That's right. There is. I wonder if you could, I guess, take us through an overview of what permaculture is and what it means to you uh, and then also why you started this wonderful magazine based on it.
2: Mm, Well, permaculture, it encompasses all the ideas of slow living and sustainable living that, you know, are becoming a lot more popular. Mm. And I guess the difference with permaculture is it's the design element. Mm. So it's actually having a design be, behind what you're doing in a gardening sense it's rather than just having all the elements around wherever, wherever you have a design that kind of links them but it's not just about gardening which is what a preconception a lot of people have about permaculture yes. is that it's just gardening but it's actually about it's sustainable living and lifestyle and land use it's not just so it it encompasses all things from community Community is a big part of it. And the main thing of it with permaculture, there are three ethics. There's earth care, people care and fair share. Mm. So the earth care encompasses the gardening side of things, but then there's people care and fair share. So it's keeping all of those ideas in mind when you're creating these systems.
0: And when you talk about design, I mean, it, to me, that just speaks so beautifully of intention, You know, everything Mm. is intentional with permaculture and that was my preconception of it when I first started hearing about permaculture on, you know, in gardening books and things was that it was simply a gardening term. But the more you start to explore it, the more you say Mm. it is, it's a philosophy, you know, it's a way of living Mm. in the world and creating community and connection to people and planet and food That is so intentional. So when did you first start to explore permaculture and then live, you know, live permaculturally?
2: Mm. Yeah, it's funny. I've always had an, like I've always been environmentally aware Mm -hmm. and it's not like I came from a background that was particularly environmentally aware. But I think just those general values of respecting nature and respecting the planet and not being wasteful. Yeah. I was brought up with but yeah I've just always had that connection with nature uh, which I don't know where that came from I guess we always went for sort of camping holidays in the bush for weeks on end and we grew some of our own food and then yeah as I became an adult and had my own places to live in I often had there was some sort of garden which I lived with in one household where there was one girl who was really passionate about growing and she had this amazing garden and I sort of just watched from the edges and didn't really know a lot about it. And then over time, you know, then I had my own place and I had my own gardens and it started off in a tiny, you know, little terrace house in Abbotsford in Melbourne with a little courtyard and bathtubs and things like that and then it's kind of grown that interest has grown, and the interest in permaculture. It was the same for me. It sort of started. I just heard of the word. I got a couple of books, had a bit of an understanding, and then about eight years ago, I moved from Melbourne up to where I'm living now in Pambula, which is far south coast, New South Wales,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and um, I started working on a magazine called Sustain, and which was a magazine about sustainability and. I worked with someone on that magazine who was a permaculture teacher and so I learned quite a lot through him and then I did a PDC with him which is a permaculture design course mm-hmm. it's a two-week live-in course yeah and it was during that course that I decided to start the magazine because the magazine sustained that I was editing had folded right. and there was a gap there used to be a permaculture magazine 10 years before I was thinking about doing it, it had stopped 10 years prior to that so There was, yeah, there was no magazine in Australia that was about permaculture. There was an overseas one, but it was different language, different seasons, just a different feeling to it.
0: And I think that the exciting thing to me is seeing you start the magazine, and I want to talk to you a bit about that in a sec, but also the fact that when a lot of publishers are are going under Mm. your audience your readership is growing and that really Mm. excites me because of what you talk about and what you cover in the magazine and it really makes me feel hopeful that Mm. there are so many people getting it you know and they're tapping into this deeper idea of connection and community and it's interesting one of the things that has come up time and time again in all of my conversations is this idea of connection and I love that you're servicing a community of people who understand the benefit of it. And I don't just mean person-to-person connection, but like we said before, food and, um, you know, all of the, the systems mm. that surround us. There's this mm. intentionality that's starting to emerge with a certain group of people, and I think it's really exciting. So Yeah, it is. tell me, I mean, how did you start the magazine? How did that process come about?
2: Okay, so when I was... I did the PDC. I was, I think, seven and a half months pregnant at the time. Of course. And I'm like, yes, I'm going to start a magazine. And I had two kids already who were young. So I couldn't sort of leap into it straight away. So I had my third child a couple of months later. And, yeah, I guess for a while it was just an idea that Mm. I had in my head, you know, sitting up late in the middle of the night breastfeeding, you know, just, thinking about it. And and then I originally was going to start it with another woman who I'd worked with the worked with on Sustain magazine. So we got together and we just, you know, with babies and kids running around and we'd just sit there on the kitchen table and write ideas and sort of start mapping it out. But then she soon realised that she also had three kids who were older, that she just didn't, she couldn't fit that into her life as it was at that time. So She kind of said, I'm really sorry, but I'm not going to be able to keep on with this. So I was like, okay, no problem. I can, you know, I can do this. So I just slowly had the idea and I started connecting with as many people as possible within the permaculture community and getting to know people and learning as you know, learning as much as I could. And yeah, I just started to draw together the ideas and got some people to agree to write articles and I just kind of worked it out as I went along. So I'd learn a bit editing this other magazine because that was very grassroots. There were about three, of, three or four of us working on it. So it was just get the articles, get the photos, lay it out, get it printed, promote it. <laughs> but one thing I did do was I realised so the, the printing costs – for magazines is huge and it's what Mm -hmm. it's actually what causes a lot of magazines to go under because each issue you have this huge cost of that you've got to try and pay for each time so yeah so I thought well I'll use crowdfunding to come up with the money for the first print run because you know the magazine when I made it this is for the permaculture community I want us to have a way to communicate to each other a way to express our ideas so I put it out there to the permaculture community and to the general public and said, I'm doing this crowdfunding, you know, donate what you can. And it was amazing. I was thinking it would sort of be people I knew and friends. And, and yeah, within the first couple of hours I'd already made, I don't know, $1,000 wow. or something. And, yeah, it wasn't people I knew. There were some people I knew but there was people all around the country who had heard, wow, there's going to be a permaculture magazine. I'd love that to exist. I'm going to give some money. And, you know, it wasn't a large amount. It might be $20 or $50. And we had rewards, which were copies of the magazine or, you know, other bits and pieces that we collected together. And, yeah, we got the money for the first print run. So that's been a really – that was a good thing because we didn't start off in debt. Yes, we paid for that, and then the money that we got from the next print run went towards the next magazine and So, I think that's one way that it has been successful is that we start I started off very simply, so I didn't have big overheads. I worked out of the spare room in our house, and you know I didn't pay myself. I had people volunteering their time to help me with a few other things, and then I slowly started paying people bits and pieces and yeah, it's only you know fairly recently I started paying myself, and
1: right. you know, now
2: I've got a team of people, and we all get paid properly. And yeah. It's just been a slow journey of not kind of taking on too much and not getting in debt I think was a big thing. Exactly.
0: That's exactly what I was going to say. It's not taking on too much and, well, I I have no doubt that your time was absolutely kind of maxed out working on (laughs) it. it. Like, yeah, (laughs) Yeah. There's a sustainability at the core of what you were doing, you know, financially speaking. Like you said, you didn't go into debt and you were able to support the magazine from day one mm. through people who wanted it, you know, and I think there's yeah. something really just in terms of running a business, there's something really important in that mm. because I think we're, we're so often sold this, you know, the hustle idea of, you know, you've either got to be bankrolled or you've got to get into kind of investors and things mm. like that, yeah. which is not a bad thing necessarily, but mm. I really like that you've built this beautiful value-centred, business based on a sustainable approach to, mm. to it i think it's fantastic yeah. plus you're
2: able to test the market from the get-go yeah well that was the really important thing it was oh wow there's all these people out there that are really interested in this magazine and willing to fork out money before they've even seen it you know so yeah that was encouraging because prior to that if you know it did feel like a big risk i mean it, it didn't until just before it was just before the crowdfunding was happening which was I sort of had to get the money to get the print run happening and I had a date that was going to be printed. And, you know, there was a little period there where I was going, what am I doing? <laughs> this is crazy. So much work, you know. But, yeah, to have that success with the crowdfunding really, you know, gave me more
0: confidence.
2: And, mm. that,
0: yeah, there is a market out there. There's
2: people who want, want this and are interested. And
0: what do you think the – Benefits are of permaculture to communities. I mean, I think in terms of the personal benefits of of permaculture, they're massive and varied. But I also think that there's this whole other side of it that isn't talked about as much, Mm. and that's the impact that it has on communities. You know, specific and broad. What do you see as the impact of permaculture there? Well, I
2: think as a as as a community or as communities in general. We need to be working together more. So we need Mm. to be, like we talk about self-reliance and self-sufficiency and I think we all know it doesn't work on an individual scale. No Mm -hmm. one can be completely self-sufficient or if they are, they're not having much fun doing it, I don't think. But as a community we can, you know, if we design our communities in a way that we can all work together. So we. it doesn't mean everyone's got to grow all their vegetables. Yeah. You know, we've got one person who lives over here. They've got great soil. They love growing things. They grow great broccoli and they grow all these great things. That's great. They can do that. And then someone else who, you know, like me, I'm, I can make magazines. I can yeah. do that side of thing. And then you've got someone who makes bread and you've got someone who likes looking after children. And if we can kind of make our communities where they – connect and intertwine and as a community we're self-reliant that is what's important especially with yes. increasing costs of oil and petrol and things like that we don't want to be importing things from other you know from across the country or across the world even if we don't need to like if we can have that in our own community then if the cost of petrol does go way up the cost of our food isn't going to be affected by that. Mm. It's being grown within our community. Plus it gives everyone in the community a job and a feeling of worth and,
0: and, belonging. and
2: belonging and purpose and things like that. So I think, yeah, in permaculture yeah, it's about creating those designs and making those connections. And there are all sorts of – we're actually doing an article in the next issue looking at those – kind of economies that exist within communities that make them more self-reliant so some Mm. communities might have a let system where you're not working and doing things for money but you earn let's points and then you can get someone to do something for you and you pay them in let's and then there's food swaps where people get together once a month or however often they choose to do it and share the surplus so often there's someone who's just got to all these lemons and they're falling on the ground and they don't know what to do with them and but they don't have any zucchinis and then the person next door might have too many zucchinis and so it's about being able to come together and share the things that you have got an excess in or that you're good at and then get the things from the other people that they have an excess in
0: I really really love that because I think so often when we're talking about sustainability, people think about self-reliance, mm. you know, and and self-sufficiency as the end goal. Mm. And I think that's really overwhelming for the vast majority oh, totally. of people because yeah. you can't – you start to think about everything that we use and eat and consume and, make mm. you know, make use of during the day and you think what if that's all on – me or my family, mm. it's impossible. You know, you stick your and head you're probably in and you kind of get terrified.
2: Yeah, and you're probably not going to do a great job either. No,
0: exactly, because we're not, we, we don't. <laughs> we no, can't, you can't do, do all the things really well. well. Yeah. Exactly. Like so example, I love that.
2: Yeah, for example, there's a woman near me who makes beauty, well, not beauty products but, you know, creams and mm. facial scrubs and oils and things like that and she grows a guy gar- She's got a permaculture garden and she grows Everything and she makes it there. She's got a little, you know, lab sort of thing where she does it all in a sterile way. And she's an expert in that. She knows how to mm. do it. She does a beautiful job of it. So it makes sense. I can buy that from her and, you know, and then in turn, she can come to me when she wants a magazine to read because yeah. she's not going to make herself a magazine as well. So, <laughs> yeah, in that sense. And then we you know we've got bakers in town. We've got a beautiful bakery that makes great bread. So, you know, I mean, I actually do make my own bread, but, you know, as an example. Yeah. And then we've got people who make clothing, who source, you know, the right sort of fabrics and they've got those skills. And so if we can kind of all work together like that,
0: I think that really is what builds
2: strong, self-reliant
0: communities. Absolutely. Yeah, and it's it's the self-reliant community rather than the self-reliant mm. individual. Mm. Yeah. Resilient communities. Is- That's right. Exactly. I think the thing, I'm listening to you speak and I'm thinking, what could anyone possibly have, you know, to argue against this way of living? And you mm. know what I think it is? I think it's convenience. Mm. It, we're so used to things being on tap and being able to eat out of season and, mm. you know, to go to the supermarket and get whatever we want, regardless of whether or not it's mm. blueberry season, you know, and I think it just requires this this mindset shift mm. to one of, like seasonality and locality and supporting local suppliers even if what they produce may not be the exact thing that you saw in the magazine that you want. <laughs> you know, it's it's really about shifting, I guess, to this smaller, more local way of doing things and letting go of multitudes of choice and just going mm. with what we have locally. And I think that's something that we're probably people at the moment aren't well versed in you know dealing with inconvenience as wonderful as it looks um i guess what would you suggest to someone who is listening to this they love the idea but they don't know where to start like where's a good place to begin living a more permaculture inspired life
2: Mm. well i guess it depends what you're good at too like often i say just start by growing some uh, some food that you like like some herbs near your door or some tomatoes in tomato season but that's not for everyone some people Mm -hmm. they're not interested in growing food but maybe just thinking about where your food's coming from is a good start I think food's a great place to start so you don't have to grow it all yourself but get to know the people who are growing your food like most places have got some sort of farmer's market where you can go and you can actually meet the farmers and they've bought their produce directly to you, and you can actually see that that is fresh from the ground. Mm-hmm. And I think once you've once you've made that shift, going back to what we we're talking about with seasonality, it's actually not a sacrifice. No. Once you start eating foods when they're in season, like years ago, I was the same with tomatoes. I just I love tomatoes. I like tomatoes on whatever but for half the year they're horrible they're yeah. hard <laughs> they're pale they've got no flavor there's really no goodness about them whereas now I don't once I've stopped growing them and unfortunately I don't have a great tomato grower nearby so I sort of rely on my own um, I do sometimes buy them at the market but basically once they're out of season I just I stop eating them and yeah. then you know I replace it with other things and then coming around to the next season it's so exciting it's like yes tomatoes and they're amazing and they're beautiful and and you know over time you learn how to make your tomatoes grow longer in the season and and with fruits especially like there's you just have different fruits at different times of the year and if you're eating those fruits at the right time of the year they're going to be beautiful and great yeah. quality so you know, right now citrus. You know, buying citrus, it's beautiful. Oranges are sweet and juicy. And mm-hmm. whereas, if you're going to go and buy a nectarine now, you know, talking in the middle of winter, you've got to look. Where's this coming from? Like, once you're in tune with that, like I saw, you see a nectarine in a supermarket in the middle of winter. It's like, where's that coming from? <laughs> it's that really can't jarring be now. <laughs> Why are they selling that? And then you look, it's like product of Mexico. And
0: you,
2: yeah, wow, that you know that's. How long ago has that been picked to come all the way from Mexico? And if you ate it, it actually would have no flavour. So I think one place you could start would just be getting in tune a bit with what's in season at the moment. And often it's hard to know that when you go to the supermarket because everything's on offer all the time. Yes. And without looking closely, it's hard to tell, oh, actually that's coming from Mexico. That's not a bad way to start, actually looking where it's coming from. If it's Mm. coming from overseas, then – Obviously it's not in season at the moment and it's not going to be fresh. It's not going to be supporting a local grower. So I think, yeah, just looking at where it's coming from and thinking about what's in season and just adjusting your diet to different times
0: of the year yeah and it does it takes an adjustment doesn't it it's not a not necessarily a one day you wake up and you're like i'm just going to eat seasonally now and, and yeah. it's easy yeah it does take a readjustment because yeah. you can't get the things that maybe you feel like a particular dish but mm. it's not in season so mm. you know it's it's a matter of readjusting to that as well but i've found over the last few years as i've as we've readjusted things taste better when mm. they're fresh Yeah, they so much better i mean um it's just, I think if you're able to tap into that over time, it becomes worthwhile waiting for mm. the nectarine to be in season or for yeah. the tomatoes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's such a great place to begin because you have to eat every day. You know, yeah. we're all eating every day. So I think that's that's really cool.
2: And then, you, there, then you start sorry. living this, then you're just living this life filled with beautiful quality food that yeah. it's not a sacrifice because the quality of the food is actually really really good and you can actually really enjoy it and look forward to certain times of the year.
0: And it's satisfying in a way that convenience foods aren't. Mm. I find. You know, it's I guess partly that's probably because of the anticipation of waiting for things to mm. be in season, but yeah. also just there's a soulfulness to the food mm. when it's it's seasonal or local or home produced. There's Yeah. I can't articulate it any more than that, but it feels soulful. And yeah. it's it's addictive. It's like seeing Things with fresh eyes. Mm. I think once you see things unfolding in that way, it's really difficult to go back and not know anymore. Mm.
2: Yeah, definitely. And there's nothing more amazing than when you make dinner and then you realise, oh wow, everything in this dinner oh. has come from the garden or I've made yeah. it myself. Yeah. And then that just that dinner has such a, <laughs> a you know an amazing feel to it.
1: And Absolutely. also, I mean, the
2: nut- nutritional value in food. I'm not sure of the exact numbers, but once you've picked it, the nutritional value decreases rapidly over time. Mm. So if you eat that straight away or just within the few hours, it's got its maximum nutritional value, whereas once it's, especially if it's picked early, it hasn't had the chance to ripen properly yep. and then it's travelled somewhere, then often it's been put in cold storage. And when I mean, if you are eating food for nutrition, then that's a really important thing to keep in mind.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Now, I know listening to this conversation, I'm sure there will be people who are like really, they really get it, they really want to yeah. start doing it, but all of this feels like it takes time and so many of us are so busy mm. in life. How do we find the time for cooking more of our own food or growing some of our own food yeah. or making some, some small changes? What do you recommend to people?
2: Yeah, so I don't, I don't think it necessarily has to take a lot of time. I mean, I've Mm -hmm. got a pretty busy life
0: with three kids and running a magazine,
2: and but yeah, I've got a garden, and yeah, it's not a perfect. Everything's always, you know, in the perfect state, but I manage to grow a fair bit of food in the garden, and I don't. During the week, I don't get a lot of time. Sometimes I might pop out and do a bit, little bit. I don't know, some random moment in the afternoon, but mostly it might just be on the weekend i get an hour or two often i don't get any time on the weekend but Mm -hmm. you can just once you have a a few basic ideas about growing which you can find you can get ideas and inspiration from all sorts of sources including pit magazine (laughs) but um you know find a bit of earth in your garden or somewhere even in a pot if it's if you live if you don't have a garden you know get some soil Learn a little bit about, I mean, ideally you can have your own compost and make compost, but that's not for everyone. There Mm -hmm. are organic composts and things like that that you can get. Grow some food. It doesn't have to take a lot of time. You plant it, water it occasionally, and one of the big things is to keep it near the back door so that you're going to see it all the time. And you can have stuff growing, especially things like lettuce, silver beets, spinach. They don't need a lot of attention. Mm-hmm. And they're the sort of things that you can just go and pick a few leaves when you want them. And they're also plants that are often sprayed directly onto the leaf, which is what you're eating. So you can even just start by having a pot by the door with some lettuces in it or some herbs so that, I mean, herbs as well. You, If you're buying herbs, you get a whole bunch. You might not want a whole bunch. You know, yeah, and then we usually don't. Yeah. And it wilts and you throw it out. Whereas if you've got a few different herbs by your back door, you can just pick, pick the leaves when you want them. And the freshness of leafy greens that have just picked is so noticeable. And I'm so used to that now that someone recently I saw someone brought over a bunch of silverbeet and it was so (laughs) sad looking, you know. (laughs) It was just sort of wilted and I just thought, wow, is that? That's obviously the impression that a lot of people think, well, that's what silverbeet is. I don't really want to eat that. Whereas also once you start eating these foods, you realise that, They're actually really tasty and beautiful when they are fresh. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, and I think you you nailed it when you you first said, you know, things don't have to look perfect in order to be effective. You know, we don't need to have the gorgeously styled garden in order to grow some food. You know, Mm. it just... just put something in the soil and pull it out. And, yeah, you know, the bugs might nibble on it and the possums might nibble on it. It's, yeah. it's all fine, you know. It's yeah. I think it's letting go. Like you
2: learn over time what works exactly. and what doesn't. And, and, you know, you grow something and you forget to water it and it dies and you feel bad. and Oh, why didn't I water it? Oh, I'm so bad. You know, and you feel guilty. But you just, you know. And I think also another big thing at the moment is this sort of Instagram perception of life that everyone Absolutely. presents. You know, like here's my perfect beetroot that I just picked. I mean, I put a fruit up the other day on Instagram. I picked it and I was like, wow, that is so beautiful. Look at it. But, you know, I didn't put a photo up of the other ones that just kind of didn't really grow and were little stumpy things. And You know, like I think there's a tendency to, you know, that everyone has good things and bad things. Some things grow, some things don't. You have failures and it doesn't matter. Just give it a go. And if you kill the whole lot and they all die, don't get disheartened. Just. You know, start, start again, again, put yeah. some more stuff in the soil, get it growing, water it, and just give absolutely, it a go, I reckon.
0: Yeah, what are probably kind of a, a couple of other shifts in the way you live now with your family mm-hmm. that permaculture has impacted that you didn't necessarily expect when you first started?
2: Um, well, I guess the sort of involvement in community. Mm. Yeah, I guess thinking about permaculture, you tend to think it's more about yeah gardening as we said before but Mm -hmm. the idea of actually creating connections within community like starting up a food swap for example and so it happens on and off again it's one of those things yes ideally every month I have a food swap and we all swap (laughs) our food and you know and everyone always says oh but I've got nothing growing but it's beautiful when we do do it we get together and different people from around the area and they come and we bring things and some people haven't got anything but you just bake something for morning tea and sometimes we've introduced a clothes swap as well and it's just that thing of getting together getting to know each other better talking about if we are growing food talking about what's growing at your place what isn't Mm -hmm. what works what doesn't and just feeling part of the community and that was a big thing moving up here from Melbourne just that beautiful sense of community that you have when you live in a smaller town that yeah you know you go down the street and you know lots of people and you go into the shops you know everyone i mean and that doesn't have to just be in a small town that can happen within your own community in a city like often you can live in a little spot and the local shops you know everyone and you kind of still have that sense of community
0: but you know it does involve maybe reaching out to your neighbors
2: and yes popping in to see them and Which
0: Which I think is more, yeah, people are more inclined to maybe not do that in in bigger cities. I mean, I'm speaking very broad brush strokes, but just from my experience, it's more, you're more likely to to do that or to chat to your neighbour over the fence when, you know, when you have a fence and just like one neighbour on the side of it rather than you're in an apartment building or everyone's kind of, yeah. But
2: I mean, in some ways in an apartment building and living crammed in, you have more connection maybe. Like, I mean, our neighbours are kind of, you know, we're on two and a half acres, so you actually don't right. see them in the, over the fence. You know, that's true. Yeah. Whereas when I lived in inner city Melbourne, every time because the car was parked on the street, every time I came in and out, I would see people, or when I rode off on my bike, I would see my neighbours. Whereas mm. sometimes the bigger the space is you actually get in your car and drive out, and you don't you don't see anyone. So, and it might not be your physical. Community. It might be a community of like minded people, your friends, or if you've got kids, it might be the parents at school. I think community can have a lot of different meanings.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Someone once described it to me as somewhere that you know and are known mm. rather than necessarily a place. Yeah, yeah it can be. Yeah. It can be the same thing. But mm. I really liked that way of describing it because yeah, it pretty- really encapsulates. Online communities as well yeah. and places where you just meet and and yeah, connect with exactly. like-minded people. Yeah. yeah, but it doesn't have to be physical. It doesn't, no. And I think that's really heartening for people who may feel a bit isolated from other mm-hmm. like-minded people, particularly if they're trying to make changes in the way they're living mm. and people nearby them, physically n- nearby them, don't get it or mm you know are in yeah. opposition to it
2: yeah and I've you know I often have lived in places where I really want to have this neighborhood thing going on but it just it just didn't happen you know yeah
0: like
2: one place I tried to have this neighborhood party and we have a party in the street and you know put all these invitations out and no one much did
0: <laughs> you know
2: and then like other times I've yeah it's like oh I want to but yeah they're not like-minded they're people that you don't necessarily have anything in common with and it's like how do you reach out to those people and you can try but maybe it won't work so maybe it is a community on another level
0: yeah absolutely and that's what you're doing so beautifully with pip you're Mm. creating a a community yeah that's right of like-minded people around the world it's amazing to see
2: yeah and it's like it's the what i think one of the beautiful things about it is that people can read that magazine and feel yeah I'm part of this I'm part of yeah. something bigger it's not just me especially if you are at home and you're struggling to grow a few tomatoes <laughs> you know you're having it's you're finding it hard to then pick up a magazine that's it's got stories about people who are similar mm-hmm. to you and it's got insp- inspiring stories about things that you might like to try or it might have a practical how to about how exactly can I do it and you can learn how to do it better. So I think that's something I've really tried to create from the beginning is that it's a place for people to connect in some yeah, magazine.
0: It is. And uh, you you've got the really great balance between inspiration, uh, you know, big stories, people who've turned everything around and all these inspiring stories of, mm. of different ways to view the world, but then also the really practical stuff too. Because mm-hmm. I think it's great to have both. Otherwise yeah. you can get really overwhelmed or really sort of bogged down in the nitty gritty. I think yeah. you, you do a beautiful job of that. Oh thanks. No, it's um it's it's an awesome magazine. I yeah. I love it.
2: Yeah, sometimes with the practical ones it's like just how to do something like the last issue we've got how to knit a beanie it's this most simple pattern and if you have any knitting skill whatsoever even if you don't you can always youtube it (laughs) and it's (laughs) like how do you do that oh there you go so then that's one less thing that you're going and buying exactly from the shop and you're able to produce yourself yeah and it's just these small steps yeah
0: every day yeah
2: yeah it's about wonderful yeah making conscious choices if you are buying things and shopping and Who's, where is this money going to and what system am, am I supporting? Am I supporting mm. the big, huge, industrialised agriculture, which is you know, not giving farmers a fair wage and not growing food that's healthy and not growing it in a way that's looking after the earth? Or can I buy somewhere else where it's actually going to go directly to the farmer and the farmer's making an effort to grow it in a way that's supporting the land it's grown in and that money's also going back into the community so even if you're not going to do any of the other things, just in the way that you make spend your money and the choices you make supports the people that are
0: doing those things. Yeah, it matters. It yeah. absolutely matters, yeah. Yeah. Oh, Robin, thank you so much for your time. It's been My pleasure. really lovely talking to you. Yeah, nice talking with you too.
2: I Puck, Puck.